good to be back with the University Heights family. Uh, just as always, I, I love this church and appreciate its terrific ministry and, and uh, all, all the great things you do and in the community and otherwise throughout the world. Thank you. Um, I bring, excuse me, I bring greetings from Alaska from Heidi and Damon Hargraves. Many of you remember Heidi and Damon, my daughter and son-in-law, who were members here at University Heights about two years while they were living in Springfield prior to their returning to Alaska uh, to uh, do a variety of things. They, uh, my son-in-law, Damon, was offered a great position at the Kodiak School District in Kodiak, Alaska, an island south of Anchorage and that's where they still live. That was eight years ago they moved. Robbie and I just returned from Kodiak. We went up before Christmas and were able to spend Christmas with them, and then I completed a sabbatical in January while we, we were with them for a couple of weeks, and then we moved to a pastor's house, a little small kind of duplex, really, on the Kodiak Baptist Mission compound. Uh, there's an American Baptist affiliated ministry there. In fact, the property is owned by American Baptist. It's been there for 120 years. Began with ministry to natives and uh, has expanded. It's quite a ministry, great reputation in the community, a number of staff. Um, they do preschool, after school programs, a lot of social ministry in the community, a lot of educational things. And Heidi actually works there part time in the office. Damon is an administrator with several responsibilities for the Kodiak School District. In fact, Heidi actually works part-time as well for the school district now, doing online tutoring with some of the children in the rural schools. Uh, they have several small towns scattered around the island of Kodiak, and uh, they've got teachers there, but, uh, but some of the students have special needs, so she actually does kind of Skype or FaceTime with them every day doing, doing tutoring. And uh, so anyway, they're doing great. Kids are doing great. We've got three grandchildren there and just had an a unbelievable, wonderful time. And just got back in the middle of this past week and settling back in. I start back to work officially tomorrow but just wonderful to be with you. Now, while I was on sabbatical, I did several things, did a lot of reading, worked on some planning, a number of different, different things, but the main goal of this final month of uh, sabbatical, uh, I took a couple of months last spring, was to finish up a book I've been working on for several years, really my second book, and it's connected to the first one, I'll tell you, because it leads into my message this morning. The book I wrote, or I completed 10 years ago, entitled, The Key is to Be a Practical Primer for Pastors. And it really had to do with, uh, it really was focused on pastors primarily, even though it had broader interest. It primarily focused on pastors and their needs and struggles, challenges. Well, this is similar. It's got a lot more material and different, and it's for, for uh, the general public, you might say. Or, and it's, it's, it's 12 chapters 
with questions at each chapter so it's shaped or framed to really be used as a personal study guide or maybe a small group study. And, uh, and it's called The Key is to Be a Discipleship Process for Christians. And so what I want to do today, uh, I might even say you all are a, a little bit of a guinea pig here, but what I want to do today is draw some thoughts from my book, give you a, a framework, share with you the main message of this theme, The Key is to Be. It's in Christ we find out who we are and what we're living for. Ephesians 1.11, Message Translation. The key is to be. Society says our value is determined by what we do, the things we do, what we produce, what we get done. Have you completed your checklist? God says what really matters is who we are. We get trapped in society's definition of doing, and many of us struggle with that being the meaning of our lives. If we get stuff done, we feel good. If we fail to get stuff done, we feel bad. The buzzwords today are big, done, produced, winner. The bad words are incomplete, stagnant, plateaued, runner-up. Just like Abby, I'm a Chiefs fan, big time. I'll be cheering for the Chiefs loudly tonight. But you know, nobody remembers the Super Bowl losers. Everybody remembers the winners. Nobody remembers the losers. Because even if you make it all the way to the Super Bowl, but you lose, you're nothing. I knew of a coach in the Kansas City, Missouri area, a basketball coach of a very successful high school basketball program, that uh, after his team finished second place in a regional high school tournament, as they were walking out the gym, as the team was literally walking out the gym, the coach took the second place trophy and he dropped it in the trash can and told his team, we didn't play for second place. What is your focus in life? Is your focus primarily on doing, getting things done, deriving your meaning and satisfaction from doing, or do you understand God's perspective? Life is first about being. We can tell our focus by how we introduce ourselves to people. I catch myself in this all the time. When you meet someone for the first time and you're going to introduce yourself to them, what do you say? Well, I'm Mike, I'm the director of Green County Baptist Association. Or I'm Bill or Sam or whomever and I do this. Or, well, I'm retired, but I used to do that, almost as if to indicate that 
you know, my productive part of life is in the past. That reveals our focus. We may think we're healthier, but in reality, when we think about who we are, we default to doing. You know, what if we, what if we change the way we introduce ourselves? And instead of describing what we do, we said something like, yeah, I'm Mike. I, uh, I love to read, trout fish, and I'm a silly granddaddy. You know, most people, if you introduced yourselves that way, would kind of look at you funny, and in their minds they would think, well, you know, what does he do? The classic example in Scripture, you know, is found in Luke chapter 10. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And let's read this biblical illustration of what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. God's Word says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I imagine if I asked this question, how many of you primarily identify with Martha, most of us would raise our hands. I identify primarily with Martha. I struggle to be focused on being as Mary was. And the reality is, because of that, there are many, many, many times I miss what is better. Your being is your true and supreme self. That's what it means, the key is to be. To be your true and supreme self. Who God created, saved, and gifted you to be. That's the key is to be. Now, can we learn to be? We can learn to do. In fact, every one of us have had myriad classes in school, in the community, in other ways to learn to do. Not many of us have ever had a class on how to be. But we can learn to be, absolutely. I want to think about that for just a few minutes now and look at some of the highlights from a couple of three chapters in my book. First of all, if we're going to be, we need to learn to be God's child. 
Again, in the message translation in, in 1 John, John says, but friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. Identity or belonging is critical to being. One of the problems in our culture today is we, so many people, so many kids, just because of family dysfunction or breakup or because of other issues, they're, they're struggling with their identity, who they are, and particularly to whom they belong. And that leads to all kinds of problems because we need to belong emotionally, spiritually, as much as we need oxygen for our bodies. When I was uh, uh, living in high school, when I was in high school, my parents were actually serving as missionaries in South America, and I lived with a grandmother in Oklahoma, and she was a, we had great relationship, dear, precious uh, grandmother. She was a retired school teacher, very demanding, very strict, known, known around town in that regard, but just a terrific lady. I can remember on many occasions on Saturday evening when I would leave her house to go out with my buddies, the last thing she would say, you would know, the last thing she would say to me as I walked out the door was, now Mike, don't forget who you are. Identity is so critical to everything in life, especially then to what we do. Because if we don't have a sense of belonging and a sense of identity, we're just like a leaf in a tornado. We're at the whim of every group or every cause that might reach out to grab us. One of my favorite verses is, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where God's word says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a people belonging to God. Belonging is critical to being. Belonging is critical to everything healthy in life. When I was a kid, about nine years old, living in Kansas City, my dad was pastoring a small church in a poor area of East Kansas City. We lived in a parsonage next door to the church. And uh, the neighborhood boys, older boys, a couple of years, three or four years older than me, gathered for a baseball game, and they invited me to play. Now, they didn't invite me because I was a really good baseball player. That was not their motivation, and I knew that. The truth is, they had seen my dad and me playing catch in the front yard with a new baseball. And they invited me to play because, quite honestly, I had an intact cover-on baseball. 
Now, they had some baseballs, but the covers were torn off, maybe all the way or part way off, but they knew some of it seen me playing catch with my dad, so they invited me to play. Well, of course, I was thrilled, and the, the ball field was just down the street. Uh, I could see it from our house, so I went with them to play, but it became obvious after just an inning or two that even though they had asked me, invited me to play, they weren't really going to let me play. They... Uh, you know, when it came my turn to bat, literally, one of them would step in the batter's box and say, hey, Mike, I'll bat for you. You can run the bases, you know, and then stuck me out in right field, which was fine. I expected that. But whenever a ball came my direction, they would run in front of me and, and usually not make the play, just get in my way, you know. But And, and I, I can remember at first just, you know, kind of being frustrated but putting up with it. But then as the game progressed, I got angrier and angrier, more and more frustrated. Finally, I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but I got so angry I just walked to the middle of the field, picked up my ball, and hit it home. I was done. And of course, they began to yell at me, Mike, come back, come back, and I wasn't going back. I'd crossed some line there, and I was determined I was finished, and they were not going to play with my baseball. One of them began to follow me, a guy that was kind of known as a neighborhood bully, and he was yelling, and at first, you know, come on, Mike. Then he got mad and was screaming, and I can remember coming up to the edge of the street, and I could see my house right down the block, and I was struggling with whether I should take off and dash for the back door or, or continue to walk and just try to stay ahead of him a few paces. I was scared, terrified. All at once, total surprise, my dad came walking around the corner. Now, dad had no idea what was going on. He just happened to show up at that critical moment. But when my dad showed up, everything changed. I remember walking across the street, standing beside my dad, turning around and looking back at that kid as if to say, now come get me. Well, what was the difference? Obviously, the difference was the one to whom I belong showed up. Folks, we belong to God. That's who we are, first and foremost. Another element of being is to learn to be yourself. Be yourself. You remember the movie Forrest Gump. Perhaps you remember when Jenny asked Forrest Gump, who he was going to be when he grew up. And Forrest responded, Well, Jenny, can't I be me? The Bible would exhort us to be ourselves. In Psalms, we are told that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are precious, beautiful, amazing creations of Almighty God. We have within ourselves everything God intends and wants for us to be.
The problem is, as soon as we're born, as soon as we enter this earth and everybody oohs and awes over us and just loves us and pours out their best upon us, the comparisons begin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, we dare not compare ourselves to some that commend themselves. He warns us against comparing. But that's what we do. You know, we're compared to siblings. We're compared to peers. We're compared to Super Bowl athletes or Super Bowl cheerleaders. Comparison. And that works itself into our mind and our hearts and we begin to feel inadequate that in and of ourselves we lack, we fail, we're inadequate. But the Bible would exhort us, we must embrace who we are. We must thank God for his love and grace. We must realize God loves us and graces us as is. All of this comparison encourages us to wear masks. You know, you've heard the phrase, you know, the one with the most toys wins. Well, I think really a more appropriate thing in our culture is the one with the best mask wins. Because nobody today, say nobody, it seems like it is themselves. They're nipped and tucked and plucked and dressed. If you don't wear, wear this certain clothes, if you don't drive this certain car, something's wrong with you. But the Bible would say we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are God's precious creation. We must accept ourselves and enjoy being who we are, who God made us to be. As we do that, we will learn to be free. Be free. John 8 said, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians 3 says, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What binds you? What entraps you? If you're going to be be God's child and be yourself. You've got to be free. Are you free to pursue God? The rich young ruler was entrapped by his riches. Are you free to be yourself? Just as I said, we get tied up with a negative self-image or wearing masks. Are you free from doing? Or does your, does your doing define you? You know, if you, if you allow your doing to define you, what's the end result of that? Well, we, guys, I'll be honest with you, the ladies are better at this being thing than we are. Just go to a nursing home. The women are gathered in small groups, they're playing cards, or, or they're crocheting or quilting, gossiping over here. But they're engaged. They're relating. They're alive. The men, if they are any, are over in a corner with their chins on their chest. 
You see, for the guys, once they're done with their working years, once they're finished with their job, they struggle for meaning. They struggle for a reason to live because their focus was on doing. Their meaning came from doing. Most of us have things from our past, family issues, personal behavior, that keep us entrapped. Some of you, I'm sure, remember Dr. Wayne Oates, who was a longtime great professor at Southern Seminary and then later uh, was a pioneer in chaplaincy work. Dr. Oates wrote a spiritual autobiography entitled The Struggle to be Free. Let me read you just a brief paragraph from his book. Dr. Oates said, For me, life has from the first been a struggle. From my earliest memory, I have contended with adversaries that were of superior number and strength and sought to escape from those forces that constricted my freedom. Freedom to decide my own destiny, freedom to express my own thoughts, freedom to put into action what God has destined that I be and become. Be free. Finally, for our purposes this morning, be your best. Be your best. I began with Ephesians 1.11 from the message. Let me read that, that whole passage there, verses 11 and 12. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. I love, as you do, the story of the Good Samaritan. We typically use that story as an example of doing good. But you know, it's the story behind the story that's the real story. Why did the Levite and the priest pass the injured fellow beside the road? And why did the Samaritan stop? It's because of who they were. My guess is that the Levite and the priest were in a hurry to some meeting they had to get to. They were doing focused. Plus, they probably, well, obviously, were not compassionate, generous. On the other hand, the Samaritan was a different kind of person. He was compassionate, caring, concerned, engaged, relational. He was generous, willing to do whatever necessary to help this injured, troubled man. Every day is a gift. Every day. Every moment is a gift. We need to take advantage of the gift of every moment by being who God wants us to be. 
Years ago, I was struggling with some of these doing being things, and a thought came to me that has stuck with me ever since. In fact, I come to where I call it Mike's axiom, and it's simply this. People, circumstances, and your own limitations may keep you from doing something you want to do, but no one or nothing can keep you from being who God wants you to be. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you so much for your presence in this moment. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for how special and unique we are to you and how we belong to you, Lord, and how you gave us the gift of life to live exactly as you intend for us to live, to be the people that you want us to be. As we share together in the Lord's Supper in just a moment, may we be reminded of who Jesus is and as a result of that, what he did so we could be your children, we could belong to you, and we could be the kind of people that you created, saved, and gifted us to be. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.